Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, designing your intentional life, homesteading, gardening, and rediscovering culture and tradition. Are you thriving this summer? Join the thriving community telegram group where we share our real world successes and failures on homesteading, gardening, and designing your intentional life. For example, this week we've talked about Homestead Padres focaccia bread, Adventures at the Farmer's Market, which we'll also cover in this episode, Forging Henbit to add to pear cider and as a garnish, Planting Trees with Humanure, yes, really, and How I Was Wrong About the Chicken Feather Sexing Technique. That's using the feathers of the chicken to figure out what the sex is on new chicks. So I ended up with several roosters that I swore were hens. So come join our Thrive in the Future Telegram community at signup.thriveinthefuture.com. And check out Thriver News. It's thriving community news without the noise. It's where Perpet and I have more long-form articles about different topics, including homesteading, intentional living. For example, some of the things we've had here is how to make comfrey salve or balm on the fly, uh, the challenge of being present, basically musings from around the fire pit, teaching kids that failure is an option, a food forest walkthrough of year three, what worked and what didn't, and other things like that. How to make your own vinegar, etc. So check it out at thriver.news. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive in the Future. In this episode, I have a freewheeling homestead chat with Homestead Padre and with Grant Payne, who joins later in the episode. We talk about homesteading in the dog days of summer, or adventures in the farmer's market and lots of other stuff let's get to the episode how's it going good how you doing good so what's new down in mississippi homesteading this summer um well we're getting into the uh we're getting through the hottest days of the summer Mm -hmm. so uh most of the garden's burned up right now uh what i do have growing is uh uh, in the shade of the oak trees. Mm-hmm. So, uh, nothing, uh, do you still have the goats? Yes, I do. We have, we have a big quarter acre pond on the back of the property mm-hmm. and we haven't touched it in years. We just ran the electric netting, you know, the, the movable fence. Sure. Completely circled the pond this past weekend. And, uh, we just, we have turned the goats loose to, to do their thing and clear all that out. Oh, so they're eating the stuff around the pond. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all the all the blackberry and brambles and thickets and they'll just go to town and all of it, clear it all out. Well, that's good. They haven't got in your garden anymore. No, no. Uh, I, I think I fixed them on that. <laughs> yeah, I planted out behind the barn. I planted two blackberry plants that were the thorny snow white blackberries. And it took over everything. And then I tried to dig them up, and that just made them mad. Yep. And and now they're turning into a big thicket. You get a good harvest next year, though. Yeah, maybe so. I'm going to have to figure out how to get rid of them, but I'm not sure if I can. Those thorny ones taste better. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm an avid believer to the, the more it hurts to pick the berry, the sweeter the berry. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so you we, were uh, saying it's a little cooler than usual down there this year? Not today. 
We are we are right on par with hot. Hey. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, I think this fall and winter is going to be cooler than usual. Yeah, why do you think that? Just looking at you know we're moving into an El Nino this year in the Pacific, right? And they're talking about it being a super El Nino. Oh, really? If you go back and look at um, analogs for years in the past, mm-hmm. twenty years, thirty years of of years that qualified as a strong or super El Nino. Uh, the, the plains, Midwest, East coast, Gulf coast, those, all those years were a lot cooler than normal. Um, got cooler earlier, lasted longer. Um, mm-hmm. very, very positive, uh, what you call Pacific, uh, North American oscillation. Yeah. Kept the West coast warm, pulled all that cold air down from the Arctic. So I think, uh. Just looking at analogs from the past, I think it's going to be a cold, colder than usual winter for you and me and Grant if he ever gets here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be glad for it to be colder than usual. So last year, I still have propane left from last year. Uh, it snowed here five years ago. I wouldn't mind seeing snow again. Snowed in Mississippi. That's amazing. Got about a quarter inch. Shut the whole state now. Yeah, didn't you say that? Uh, you had a bunch of freeze or something like that. Uh, this past year, we we had a bunch of freezes. Uh, we had oh. a late freeze, which destroyed the uh, spring um, nectar flu. Right. So I, I haven't even got honey out of my hives this year. Oh wow! I uh, talked to another guy Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sunday at the market. Uh, he has honeybees. He's more commercial than me. I, mm-hmm. I have a few on the farm. He moves his around. And he said he had to pull all his hives out of South Mississippi and take them north after we got that late late freeze and just killed all the blossoms. Wow! So it's uh, I may get a I may get a late summer harvest. I haven't messed with them in about a month. So we're gonna I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to get a, a August harvest. No oh, good. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a freeze and and some of the some of the apple blossoms fell off. So I have some trees that are really spotty where the north side of the tree has no apples and the south side of the tree has apples. Yeah. So, yeah, really weird. Uh, strange year, but we got, I think a lot of the country gets some late freezes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been yeah. raining like crazy and cooler than usual here in Kansas. We've, if it's raining, the temperature is down, but uh, the month of June was below average rainfall. Really, and it got hot. I mean, it got late July, early August hot back in June. Uh, the wild, I do, a lot, you know, I do a lot of foraging. Mm-hmm. The wild blackberries, all the wild berries around her just shriveled up. Wow, there's no rainfall and a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. What other stuff so, do you forage for? Uh, right now, I'm waiting on the elderberries to ripen. Mm-hmm. And on the back side of the property today, I noticed the American Beauty Berries. Looks like it's going to be a pretty big crop this fall. Oh, good. Yeah. So uh, I got wild blueberries growing, uh, elephant's foot, um, which is a good wild plant if you're diabetic. My son's diabetic. Mm-hmm. The, the plant's toxic except for the tube. The tube. So if you get the yam of the plant, it's actually hyperglycemic. Really? So how big does that get? Um... Four or five inches. Oh, really? Okay, so it's sort of like a small sweet potato? Yeah. Okay. Uh, packed full of potassium and other vitamins. It was really good for you, but 
Like I said, it's only the yam. The rest of the plant's not. Right. Yeah. What other uh, What other then, foraging are you doing? If it ever pulled down, uh, mushrooms. Although I did find a couple of reishi mushrooms yesterday, mm-hmm. growing on the backside of the property. Um, St. John's wort found a bush. St. John's wort uh, last week. I'm going to wait for it to get closer to bloom, then I'm going to harvest it and dry it. Oh, cool. Then, what do you do with that? Well, St. John's wort, it's good for uh, blood pressure, heart, cardiovascular system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was real big back in the early 2000s. I guess everybody was pushing St. John's wort everywhere. Yeah. Um, the variety that we have is actually St. Andrew's wort, but it's a variety of St. John's wort. It does the same, has the same benefit. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, I just walked the driveway today. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think. Some of the goldenrods are beginning to bloom, which is kind of early. Yeah. I make a tincture out of the goldenrods. Yeah. What do you use that for? Uh, allergies. Uh huh. Oh. So you get a, get a jar, fill it full of goldenrod flowers. I use vodka. Uh, let it sit for about six months. Come springtime when your allergies start kicking in. Sure. Just take a literally a shot. Just take a shot every day. Huh. And uh, it knocks your allergies away. Fall flowers will help you beat spring allergies. Oh, really? Um, it's like honey. You, you know, you've heard take honey for allergies. Yeah. Um, what most people don't realize is you won't. Everybody knows local, but you want local fall honey, which is the darker. honey. Uh-huh. Because it's made from the fall flowers. Interesting. Fall takes care of spring. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And, and the great thing about that is is by the time you, you, you harvest those flowers and you create a tincture, it takes almost until springtime for that tincture to be ready to use. Uh-huh. It, it's perfect perfect timing in nature. Yeah, that's pretty good. Do you prep it or steam it or do anything, or you just stick it in uh, vodka? No, nah, I'll wash them, get the bugs and little spiders and stuff off of it. But, right. Yeah, just, just wash them, pack the jar full, and cover it in vodka and let it sit in a dark pool, I guess. Room temperature. Room temperature for my house is 70 degrees. Uh-huh. I have a pantry dedicated to canned foods and tinctures and things like that. So. Sure. It just goes and sits in there until I'm ready for it. Yeah, I do a lot of echinacea and all that, and that's yeah. really helped a lot over the winter the last few times. Yep. But, uh, doing, uh, I think that's about it on my foraging right now. Yeah, I saw, uh, your, uh, saw your posts about uh, quitting smoking. Yeah. Yeah, I am uh, 30, 30 days. This is day 30. Yeah. Did you just cold turkey it or did you do something else? Um, well, as far as nicotine, I cold turkey. Uh-huh. Uh, I went and bought some plastic straws filled with honey, and it was cinnamon-infused honey. Uh-huh. Every time I wanted a cigarette, I, I would just chew on one of those plastic straws. Really? And uh, cinnamon, cinnamon's good. To stop smoking anyway, because the, the the powerful flavor of cinnamon sure. will overwhelm the craving. Huh. So uh, I took, you know, having something to put in my mouth, holding my fingers, and added the cinnamon to it, and, and just 
worked well for me. It took me about two weeks of chewing on honey straws. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm out. I've been out for two weeks. I am considering getting more because, you know, some of the cravings can still be kind of rough. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm out of the, out of the, the heat for the most part. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. I hope I am anyway. Yeah, that's great. So we did that uh, Father's Day. Father's mm -hmm. Day was my last day. Cool. All right, I got kids walking around everywhere. Yeah, no worries. Come out, come outside for no distractions, and end up with a bunch of distractions. <laughs> how's how's the farmers market going? Um, been slow past couple of weeks, but it's been really hot the past couple of weeks, right. and the vegetable vendor's not there. Uh huh. So they're in that time of year where they don't really have a lot of crops. Huh. Even the uh, there's places around the county you can go to you pickets. Yeah. It's twenty bucks for a five gallon bucket, whatever you can fit in it. Sure. Uh, even the shut down right now. Really. So it's, it's just, just blazing hot. Yeah, it's just too hot down here. I mean, I can't think of a day in the last three weeks that the uh, real fill temperature has been less than 105. Wow. So add the 80, 90% humidity to it, that's just, it's miserable. Right. I come out in the morning, 74, 73, temperature's not that bad, but the humidity's 100%. Mm-hmm. You just instantly just, just start sweating. Sure. Um, I am. I'm sweating through like three t-shirts a day now. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, I saw your uh, focaccia bread. That's pretty artistic. The way you put vegetables and stuff on the top and bake it in. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, not, not my creation. I totally copied that off of Pinterest somewhere. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Selling really well at the markets. Uh, it's kind of iffy. I think the fad's kind of dying out. Sure. But uh, I, I tell everybody, make it. In, in, in southern Italy, it's pizza. That's considered a pizza. Mm -hmm. um, I make it here at the house. I, I make the it's flatbread. It's 11 flatbreads. It's a little thicker than usual. Uh, covered. It's smothered in olive oil. I mean, you... you Take your fingers and you mash down in the dough to make little pockets, and the olive oil just pools and it. so it's covered in olive. Wow. And I'll take tomato slices, put them on there in a pattern, a little bit of onion, a little bit of bell pepper. Uh, for myself personally, I'll take uh, mozzarella cheese, slab mozzarella cheese, and cut slices out of it, just bake it in the oven, and it is uh, better than any pizza you get anywhere else. Wow, that's great. So you just you just drizzle all that over the focaccia bread, and then you, it's it's just as good or better than pizza, right? Oh yeah, definitely yeah. healthy for pizza. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how healthy any bread is, but you're not getting the sugar filled. I mean, it's almost okay. well, yeah, a lot of a lot of bread that you get at the store, even at the great harvest bakery market, right, has a dough conditioner in it, so it can get done really fast. And so, right. you know, and then it's got gluten added so that it can get done really fast. Yep. And it, it just sets off the the gluten intolerant. That is, uh, 
something I have to explain every week in a market why my dough is not the same as what comes out of brick. Right. Or my bread. Mm -hmm. Every week I get somebody, well, I bought this last week. It's not like uh, what I get at Walmart. It's, it's, not, not going to be. it's not like Walmart. That's crazy. And a lady pick up my bread and she's like, it's not as light as what's in the grocery store. It's a lot denser. Like most of your uh, homemade breads are. Yeah. And then go through the whole, uh, I don't have dough conditioners and things like that in it. Yeah. It's not pop puffed up air. Right. It is uh, a mosquito. <laughs> but it's, uh, I don't know. It's going good. It's, uh, it's, it's the, I tell everybody I can grow 11 months out of the year here. Uh huh. Um, this is the one month I can't grow. Yeah. It's just, it's just too hot. So do you start up a fall garden at some point? I do. I do. Uh, probably late August, I will pull all of my summer veggies, the ones that's still in the shade that's still growing. Right. I'll pull those. Um, my main garden area, I would normally let grow over for the cover crop. But this year, I'm planting garlic in the entire area. Really? So, uh, I'll be gardening all winter. This year. Mm -hmm. That's good. We're doing gourmet garlics. I got a couple orders. Uh, commercial orders for uh, a lot of people don't know. There, there's there's hundreds of different breeds of garlic. Some of them were as hot as chili peppers. Sure. So uh, I have uh, six different breeds I'm doing this, this fall winter. That's cool. And, uh, I'm trying to get uh, I'm trying to get specialty crop status from the state of Mississippi. Really? How do you do get that? Uh, you have to specialize in one type of crop. So I have I have picked garlic because my soil, which isn't good for much, is really good for garlic. Yeah, I thought you were going for uh, peppers before the goats got in there and destroyed them. Yeah, I was, and the thing about the peppers is, is I don't have good dirt for it. Uh-huh. Was constantly, constantly working the soil, constantly amending the soil, adding to it. Um, I don't have to do that for okay. I have I have sandy loamy soil naturally, and that's what they like. Uh-huh. So I am I am tired of fighting nature. <laughs> or I guess fighting geology. <laughs> Wanna go we have I have my raised beds. I've been I've been building raised beds all summer. Right. Just adding to it, adding to it. That's what I'm shifting all my family food growth to. Um, I might get back into peppers. I'm researching peppers with uh, aquaponics. Uh huh. So I may do an aquaponics setup with peppers next year, or year after. But I'm taking a break for a week or a year or so. I didn't think you could do peppers in aquaponics. That's interesting. How do you do that? Uh, you put them in a, a waking bed or what? Uh, put them in a, a draining, a filling drain. Uh-huh. Um, I had aquaponics set up years ago, and I had one big bed that was filled with lava rocks. Sure. And I actually grew bell peppers pretty well in that. Huh. So, you know, just bed fill, bed fill up with water, bell siphon kicks on, drains, just... just 
So I did that for, I did that for Hurricane Victim through a pickup whole setup. Just never mm-hmm. rebuilt it. Oh, cool. Never had the money to build it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what's, uh, what do you do over the, so you can grow the rest of the year, even over the wintertime? Yes. It doesn't freeze or whatever and knock you out? It doesn't freeze enough matter. So you get into, um, I grow a lot of colder weather vegetables. Right. Uh, cabbages, lettuces, Brussels sprouts. Okay. Uh, or things like that. That can handle pretty, pretty low temperature. Yeah. Uh, but here you can grow, you can, we grow banana trees. So you got to do a little more to protect them. Uh huh. They can handle, they can handle the cold to a level. They just can't handle the frost. So as long as you can keep the frost off of them, uh, they usually survive winter. It, it gets cold for about a month and a half. And it's not a consistent cold. It's not like five, six, seven, eight days in a row. Sure. The cold snap for us is three days in a row where it gets below freezing at night. That's so, it. so with cabbage, it's hard to... It's hard to germinate that unless it's fairly cold. Do you start cabbage later, like October, November, or something? Yes. Okay. I'll start my late October. Okay. I have, um, I have put cabbage seeds in the refrigerator. Really? Just to give, just to give them a cold boost. Uh huh. And then started them in early October, late September, early October. That's done decent. Not as well as waiting to say early November. My first frost is until December second on average. Okay. So um, it's it can still be in the eighties in October here. Sure. But uh, I'll do I'll do radishes, beets, spinach. I will start all those late September, early October, and I get into more. Uh, kales, lettuces, cabbages, those will be late October, early when it is started. Uh-huh. Okay. So you have fruit trees down there, too? You weren't able to do apples because there's not enough cold days, right? I do have apple trees. I have never gotten apples. <laughs> I, and I planted Granny Smith, which is supposed to be good to zone nine. Um, never gotten apples. Right. But this year, my apple trees look better than they ever had. We had a colder winter this past winter than years prior. Sure. Uh, we have we have apples that's never given us an apple. We have pear, one peach tree that does not produce peaches. <laughs> Lemon tree, grapefruit tree. Uh, lime tree, orange tree, citrus. The citrus trees do. So the citrus do does well. Yes, okay. I'm looking at uh, possibly getting some banana trees here in the next weeks. Really? Wow, that's awesome. I would like to grow more. That would be kind of kind of cool. Never, never done it. That's cool. 
then I can get on Twitter and brag to all my all y'all more northern folks. <laughs> I, I get picked on for the high heat and humidity in the summertime, but there are some payoffs for that yeah. heat and humidity. Yeah, my favorite posts are when you uh, tell of all the crazy people at the farmers market, like you said, who uh, say that your your bread isn't like Walmart or it's not like California or whatever else. Or they sit there and talk, talk, talk. Right. This is how bad it's gotten with the with the San Francisco sourdough. So I I don't market my bread as a San Francisco sourdough. My sourdough is created with a San Francisco culture. Uh huh. I have a San Francisco culture that's uh, verified over 200 years old. Really? I have a Welsh culture from a monastery in Wales that's almost a thousand years old. Really? Um, the San Francisco has more of a sour bite to it that Americans are used to. The Welsh is much more mellow. Really? Um, so I advertise it as. The, uh, this is a sourdough bread with a San Franciscan culture. Hmm. People take that as it's supposed to be a San Francisco sourdough bread. <laughs> I get complaints, especially the retirees that moved here from, from California. Right. I'm from California. We know what bread is supposed to taste. Biggest complaint is your bread doesn't have enough salt in it. <laughs> And that was really throwing me off for a while. I was like, why is that the complaint? Like, I knew I wasn't making San Franciscan-style bread. Right. right. I just wanted the sourness from the culture. That's why I was using the culture. In San Francisco, they do what's called a salt fermentation. Oh. So their doughs are heavily salted, and it takes longer for the dough to fruit. Right, because it's salted. Right. I don't have the facilities to do that. Yeah. It's required to put a dough in a cooler for days. Sure. Um, so, yeah, my bread's not as salty as San Franciscan bread, and I finally figured out why, because I don't salt uh, ferment my dough. Uh-huh. So last weekend, I had a lady come up, demanding her money back for the <laughs> bread. And I, and I do, you know, I give it back. It's seven bucks ain't worth an argument. Yeah. So uh, she goes, J same thing. It's just wasn't salty. I'm from San Francisco. This does not taste like our bread. It's salt. It's not salty. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, the reason why it's not salty, blah, blah, blah. I went through the whole thing. And she goes, oh, that makes sense. She goes, you know what? Never mind on the refund. She goes, and, and she ended up buying a Frosty bread. Uh -huh. So uh, she, she was much more nice about it than most people. But uh, this week, as of this week, San Franciscan is no longer on my labels. I have <laughs> taken it off the wall again. It just now says sourdough Lord. Yeah. I, I'm just tired of fighting that. Yeah. You just can't win. No. So it, it doesn't, I, ha I have it on the sign. I have a little flyer taped to the table. This is not a San Francisco style bread. People don't read this. So right. I'm just taking San Francisco off of the label. That's awesome. Before I put it on the label, I never got a single complaint. Uh-huh. So, it's little things. You know, anybody that, that listens to your podcast and wants to do markets, you'd be surprised how the little things affect so, so much. Um, example, 
Mississippi, I operate my bread under cottage laws. So uh-huh. it's made in the kitchen. My kitchen is not inspected by the state. As long as the health department does not receive a complaint, I do not get inspected. Sure. So, but you have to have a label and your label has to have certain information on it. Um, so for the longest time, I was putting a front label on the bread and then a back label. Mm-hmm. And the back label had the ingredients and it had the disclaimer and it had the allergen list. And the front label was just for looks. I decided I was spending too much money on extra labels and I was going to put the back label on the front of the bread. Mm-hmm. I sales plummeted. <laughs> I mean, I went from $400 days to $20 days, $30 days for three weeks straight. And I got to thinking about it. And I was like, well, what changed? Well, I changed the way I did the labels. Huh. So back to putting the two labels on again, the front label and then the info on the back. My sales come right back up. Really? The same way. So just the little things. Just really. Effects. Because the label on the front is more attractive and to see the ingredients, they got to pick it up and touch it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. The label on the front is just the name, the weight of the bread, uh, our company logo. Yeah. And um, I have, I, I'm genuine Mississippi certified. So I get the genuine Mississippi tag on the label. Yeah. That's all that's there. It's a very simple white label. There's no fancy designs on it. And, and people, can, I think they can read it better, see what it, what the bread is easier. Yeah. The lettering's bigger. And, so yeah, just made a, just made a world of difference in sales. That's, that's amazing. It is. It, it, it amazed me. I was like, I can't believe uh, that, that mattered. <laughs> and I talked to another vendor who's been doing markets twice as long as me. And he goes, oh yeah, the littlest things will completely change your outcome. It can be how the tables are positioned up under the tent. Yeah. Will make a big difference whether people buy or not. Right. And I've experimented with that. And it's true. So me and my wife, we have two tents. She has uh, soap and she does the soap and the, and the jewelry and everything. She sells out of one tent. I sell all the bread out of the other. But we decided to butt the tents up to each other and make a big horseshoe with the tables. Uh-huh. So you can walk in either side and walk all the way through and see everything instead of visiting two different tents. It made a world of difference in how much we sell. In a poor way or a good way? In a good way. Really? So now, uh, say, make up a name. Now Martha walks in because she smells my bread. She's bought a she's bought a bread and she bought her son a hot sauce and she's about ready to pay and she look over and she goes, "Oh, you have soap too." And now I've sold two bars of soap with it. And it's made a big difference by combining yeah. those foods. Yeah, you look more big time that way too, right? Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, before, well, what gave me the idea is people would buy from me. And uh, we only have one cash box, and it's at my booth because I sell more with the bread. Sure. And uh, they would buy from me, then they would go to my wife's booth and give her $5 for a pair of earrings or something. And she'd hand me the money, and they go, oh, you're all together. <laughs> so uh, after about a month of that, I was like, why don't, why don't we try this, this little horseshoe shape here? Yeah. And uh, it, it's worked out well. Cool. That sounds great. Just little things. Those little things make a world of difference. That sounds awesome. Well, very good. Any any new tips? 
Uh, no. Have you seen the thing with the vinegar? Uh, yeah, so you were saying that, uh, go ahead and give some background on that. So I had a couple of people got in touch with me and they were like, um, we can't find, or we got home and the vinegar is different. Uh -huh. And I was like, what do you mean it's different? And they said, well, it's 4%. And I was like, oh, don't, don't use that. I'm, there's a way to use it uh -huh. and it's still good, but for novice canners, don't use it. It's just get a 5% acidity vinegar. It's safe. Right. Um, so I was like, uh, no, you got the wrong thing. Go back. They called me a couple hours later. We went back. There's no 5% acidity in the store. Really? And I was like, okay. You know, it's, so, so I posted that. I was like, Hey, heads up. This is what I'm hearing. I haven't verified it. Uh, I went to the store today and, uh, there was one thing of 5% vinegar and the rest was poor. And huh. I've never seen it. Yeah. So you think it's uh cutting corners or what do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think with the price of everything going up, maybe they're watering it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, which there's still a way to make it safe. Uh, sure. But it's, it's just not ideal, you know? Right. You go to any, any university website that covers this stuff or go to the government's website, they're going to tell you to use a 5% acidity. Mm -hmm. that's just the gold standard so I don't know what's going on with it I don't know if it's regional to my area because I've talked to other people on Twitter around the country that's not seen the same thing uh huh so I don't know if it's a southeast thing or gulf coast thing yeah. uh, east of the Mississippi thing I just don't know so uh, yeah just a heads up pay attention to the label because it's real easy to miss sure you're buying 4% or 5% Yeah, and I don't I, use I don't use vinegar very much, but when I do, I usually make my own. Yeah, well, I make my own apple cider, but I use white distilled vinegar for right the uh, old pickles and things like that. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, I don't know how to make distilled vinegar. If I yeah. if I have to make a confession, I've never looked it up. So <laughs> I'm surprised you don't have a still. <laughs> I do have a still. <laughs> Just haven't made, uh, just haven't put vinegar through it. Okay. I have not. I do have a steel and, and I have never, I've never made alcohol with it either. Uh-huh. So we just steal out essential oils. Oh, really? Okay. That's cool. You make your own essential oils too? We do. Oh, that's neat. We do. We had a, uh, I have a whole line of, uh, you ever heard of, uh, Mine just went blank. Thieves oil. Oh yeah. Uh huh. I, I have my own version. Yeah, we were talking about that last time. So uh, yeah, give a little background on thieves oil. Uh, so thieves oil is uh, it's a little bit of medieval fairy tale myth, uh, legends maybe. Legends a better word. So you had these uh, thieves going around stealing from the graves of bubonic plague victims, and never getting sick. And um, they were using a mixture of herbs to, to rub on their, their skin and, and to put them to smell. Mm -hmm. And uh, the authorities called them, agreed not to burn them at the stake if they gave over the recipe. 
I went, they did give over the recipe and they were beheaded instead. Much quicker to, but <laughs> the legend became thieves oil. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's clove, it's cinnamon and, and some other stuff. I'm not going to give away the whole recipe, but it's all mixed together. And, and I have to say it actually does work really well for feeling bad, mm-hmm. especially, especially in the sinus department. And I think it's the clove right? more than anything that's in it. Uh, really helps clear up uh, congestion, chest congestion. So we do make our version of that. It is not called Thieves Oil. Thieves Oil is a trademark name. Really? So we call ours Plague Doctor Oil. Or oh Plague yeah, Oil. I like Plague. I like Plague Doctor Oil better. That's yeah. that, and I like the Plague Doctor uh, picture on it. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I love it. So uh, it's uh, we have that. The only other oil we have right now is our lavender essential oil. Uh-huh. And I just haven't had time to make a lot of oils. Right. But uh, we're moving into fall. It's our busy time of year. I got to mm-hmm. get candles made. I got to start looking at uh, fall breads. So when I see uh, pumpkin spice coffee creamer in a supermarket, I start making pumpkin pie bread. Mm-hmm. And it's that sells like crazy. I, I model myself after what the supermarkets are doing. Yeah, definitely. Pumpkin spice time, right? Yeah, we're getting there just a few weeks away. We'll start seeing pumpkin spice. Yeah, I saw Halloween stuff already displayed, so it shouldn't be yep. too long. Yeah, they well, Hobby Lobby was putting up Christmas stuff back in May. So. <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Hey, Grant's joined us. All right. Hey, Grant. So what's new I'm on the uh, Grant's the IBC king? He's got his raised beds or IBC totes. His his uh, pig enclosures IBC totes. And uh, so what's new in uh, what's new in the homestead? I would say the only thing that's new is the pigs mm-hmm. in the IBC totes now have babies. Um, oh really? You had piglets? So, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Come on back next week for part two of this Homestead chat with Homestead Padre and Grant Payne. Thank you for listening to Thriving the Future podcast. Like us and follow us on your favorite podcast app. So lately on Thriving the Future, we've been talking about things that you may not hear on other podcasts. So if you like what you hear, then shoot us a tip on Cash App at dollar thrive in the future at venmo at thrive in the future or join our patreon at patreon.com slash thrive in the future you can get early episodes you can get extra episodes with with perpend some of the examples are last year we did a a tour of watkins mill and you can really hear the difference of where perpend's mindset shifts to wanting to go to an intentional community in Kansas City, and then also to the monastery. In addition to that, got the extra episode with Cyprian, whole 25 minutes where he talks about crypto, he talks about risk to your wallet, and also what is a cargo cult. That's on the Thriving Patreon, patreon.com, Thrive in the Future. Next time on Thrive in the Future podcast. Coming up on Thrive in the Future, William Horvath from Permaculture Apprentice will be joining me to talk about permaculture type 1 errors.
That's coming up on Thrive in the Future.